and we're live. I don't even know what episode number this is, but another episode of The Oddest Couple. I'm Felix Levine alongside my co-host, Johnny. Don't like, go tell for me it. you're getting like those younger kids now that they, they're not good at math anymore or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Our generation's not very good at math. They don't well, they're either wanna, very, very good or they're very not good at math. They don't want to study. They don't want to read or write. <laughs> Listen, it's really a problem. I'm an ex-gangster, but I'm, I'm a lot smarter than all these kids. I'm just like, why can't they spell? <laughs> Have you seen read, your spelling? Don't, don't no, some books? of your spelling's bad. No, my spelling's good. My handwriting's bad, but I could spell good. God, give me something. I'll, I'll, <laughs> your, punctu- your punctuation can be bad, though. I'm lazy, that's why. But I'm actually... I like, you know, it's funny. Like, I can note... Like, your text messages are so... If somebody put 10 text messages together saying the same sen- like same three sentences, you I would know, no, I would know which one is yours. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my son tells me, or Johnny tells me that. Why do you write it like that? I go, listen, I just put my idea around it. It's not that I'm writing. If I, I had to write something serious, I wouldn't write like that. But um, by the way, Johnny, I spell a lot better than you. You went to college. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, you got me all fucking distracted. Did you have to curse? So, is, yeah, that was... This is a family-oriented show. <laughs> oh, yeah, very family-oriented. We're talking about killing. We're talking about crime and jail. Yeah, yeah, super family-oriented. <laughs> it's for nine-year-olds. Um, the Oddest Couple podcast. This is our show. If you're listening to this right now, please make sure you like and subscribe and all that good stuff. Rate, review. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe. That's big. Like, comment, comment, comment. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback over the last couple of weeks since we started back up. So that's been awesome. The engagement's been great. So please continue doing so. Follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine. Follow him at Johnny Light on Instagram. We're posting TikToks. We're posting reels. We're posting all that stuff. So just keep engaging. We appreciate your support. Um, it's been it's been a lot of fun being back and doing the shows together. And uh, people that are the the OG supporters, we appreciate you being back. I think a lot of them are happy to see us back. If you're new here, welcome. Uh, John and I have been doing this, I guess, now on and off for a couple of years. Um, we were off for let's say a year, year and a half, and we're back now. So it's uh, it's been good. I want them to write in where you think we should go to dinner because. Felix was three minutes late for our appointment for our team that are out there. His punishment. It's I dead. got you. I, wait, I, t- I took care of dinner last time. and I was... It doesn't matter. You were late for the appointment, guys. Wait, wait, we Paul, you want to talk about late? Message. You want to talk about late? What about today? No, today is different. <laughs> yeah, I got you. <laughs> oh, you That's 10 9 Felix. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah tw- I'm never late. And that's actually true. You're never late. Today, you were late. There was traffic everywhere. Yeah, classic. There was yeah. traffic. There was I, traffic for me last I time, too. I know I should have took my helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> why, are you, why are you talking about the helicopter? you want to show? Yeah. <laughs> trying to show some Actually, people some things? Actually, it was a bad accident. Uh, uh, two helicopters crashed. Oh, I did see that. Forces. Yeah, I know. Fuck. Yeah, I think um, nine people died. Yeah, I know. It was bad. Um, damn, we were having fun, and now you just... I'm sorry, but that's condolences no, yeah, to the military. Is... Lot of respect oh, right. It was a military. military. Right, yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. Anyways, so... Today, we were thinking, we were thinking a particular theme, which I think is quite interesting. And when I think about your life is quite interesting as well, is how you go from being a murderer to somebody who can regain a sense of empathy. If you think that that's a fair assessment. Yeah, I mean the the assessment is is fair because um, somehow you you make your mind believe the way we grew up and in, in, involved in the street and the mob uh, 
is an okay life to live, right? And you kind of lose perspective of where you're going with life. And it becomes the norm. That, that became the norm for me because I grew up in, in death. Whether I was people trying to kill me or a lot of my friends were killed. And I was so used to seeing it and thinking it was normal even though it was taking a toll on me. And you don't really, because you're not stepping back, you're in the midst of that lifestyle. And, you know, getting a phone call while you're on vacation, and I was in a Uber at the time, and I got a phone call uh, that a friend of mine died, was, was shot. And I came home. And then it was Christmas, and we were going to the, uh, what was it called, the um, something inn. In, uh, it was a Christmas area. And, in Nassau County that you would go to a restaurant and it was uh, Middle Ridge Inn or something like that, it was cool. And my friend Mikey got killed, you know. Uh, and then we left there and you just, you get so used to it, of seeing dead bodies and seeing people and it's so crazy how your mind can believe that that's okay and it's, it's a normal thing and it's just part of, you know, of uh, like you're playing a sport and you, you know, you just, uh, you know, the other team just scored a touchdown on you, and, and you, you, all right, it's your turn now to, to, you know, drive the ball down and see if you can score a touchdown almost. It's just really crazy. Well, I've asked you before when you, about the first time you ever killed somebody, but I don't think I asked you, do you remember the first time you saw somebody dead in front of you that was from an act of violence? I was a kid, yeah. Um, you know, but you don't remember the specific? I didn't know them. I just seen the body by the school when uh, we were by the schoolyard and and uh, somebody that got shot mob related uh, I don't think he got shot I think he was stabbed up but he was dead when and uh, did it did you do you remember how you felt or if you you know what's crazy I remember his leg right and I remember he was wearing brown like uh, there weren't sneakers some sort of shoes and his leg was and his ankle was bent the way he fell and then somebody put a jacket over his head. And you know, we're looking, and you were kids. You're just, it's weird. You're looking you? at him, you're curious. Kid, eight, I don't know, nine. But that, you know, that wasn't the, the only one. Then you're seeing others, and then you're seeing guys getting batted all the time. And you know, so you're, you, you, you're watching this all the time. And I grew up really, like I said, in, a, in an environment that was very violent whether it was my own household and all the fighting that went on or it was on the street, uh, the neighborhood, uh, school, uh, people OD, and it was just part of it. It's just part of growing up in that environment that you just kind of get accustomed to death. There's some people when they see death or somebody dead in front of them, it can make them like physically ill, nauseous, throw up, yada, yada, right? panic attack is there any was there ever a time in your life that you saw somebody dead in front of you that were to the point where it made you feel some kind of uneasiness no this was very normal to me i remember it was an it was an old lady and i won't say who it is but uh they couldn't afford to bury their mother and they put them in a shopping cart and I was walking down the block on 87th Street across Atlantic Avenue. It was at night, and there was a little bar there on the corner that I used to go to and shoot pool. And I was walking by, and I seen the lady stop the shopping cart, 
you know, she was walking in the shop with a shopping cart uh, and uh, just left it there and then started walking away fast. So I went over to the shopping cart and I opened it. It was a green uh, glad bag and it was all closed and I opened it. Jesus. And I seen the matted hair and a body. And uh, so I started opening it more to see. And then I went into the bar next door and I said, hey, uh, there's a lady that's dead in the bag. Like it was nothing. You know, I told the owner, and I knew the owner, the guy Jimmy that owned the place. And he goes, all right. And I left and I kept walking down the block and I was going to see one of my friends and there was a place called Tricorner. So I was going to Tricorner, probably to get beer. We were kids, we'd always go walk down here, get beer and then hang out, walk around or whatever. And on the way back, I seen, it was kind of winter time, it was cold out. Not real, like late fall, I guess it was. And uh, the police were there and everybody else. And a couple of days later, I heard who it was. So I was familiar who it was, actually. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, it was really nothing. And, you know, I, I just thought about it, I go, oh, that sucks that they're gonna, that's how they're gonna get buried, like just left outside like that. That's about the only thing I thought about, but it's it's really unfortunate that you start looking at things that way, like it's normal, you know. And and you didn't realize it at the time. I mean, obviously, but, you look back. But talk. do you think your reaction to to thinking that that was like whatever another day was because of your past? Did could you recognize that other people would have seen that? Like, for example, myself. If I would have seen that, I would have probably been very flustered. I would have, or I would have been like, yo, like this is, it's, it's, it can take you aback to open up a bag and see a dead body, especially of an old, older woman. Did, did, did you ever process and realize that other people can actually feel these things that maybe you're not because? No, I didn't recognize it, no. I think it's because of the people that I was around, mm -hmm. you know, whether they were friends of my, uncles or my father or the gangsters or the everywhere I stayed it was normal to those people and that's who I'm interacting with so no big deal it was just you know exactly what it was uh just everybody was violent so you know it was just part of the rest of the environment, that oh, another dead body, no big deal. Another person got stabbed, no big deal. Another guy got batted, no big deal. You know, so I think that, you know, I was a young guy at one time and my sister used to sleep in the basement. And uh, this drug addict guy, Georgie Horn, we used to call him, I don't know what his last name really was. He was crawling under the crawl space of my porch, trying to get in the window to rob the house. He didn't know my sister would slept down there. So my sister seen it, put the light, started screaming. My father came running down and then, and then Georgie started crawling out and he ran. And you know, I'm young. I threw on a pair of shorts and I grabbed a, a pipe. Uh, you know, it wasn't a pipe. It was the car, you know, those things you lock the car steering wheel so somebody can't steal oh, yeah. it. And it was on my, it was on the bottom steps by the, by the uh, shoe rack. I guess one of my uncles left it there because it wasn't mine. And it happened to be there and I just grabbed it, I ran and I chased him. And you know, you're chasing him without thinking, but you're thinking when you catch him, which I did ca catch him, I caught him about 10 blocks away on 76th Street, Jamaica Avenue. 
And the cop actually, Phil Barone, I don't remember how Phil was there, but Phil ended up at the scene. It was a friend of mine, you know, later on worked with me. Uh, and I piped him so bad with that stupid thing across the head that I cracked it, I broke it. You know, those things are pretty strong. So imagine cracking that over the guy's head and... Uh, Didn't care. No. You know, I look back now, I'm like, what the but hell that, see, I think? Okay, but see, that can sound a little bit more justifiable in a way because you're thinking this is somebody that that attempted to hurt my sister, somebody that I love, right? So I can understand there's a little to no empathy when somebody tries to hurt your family, especially knowing you, right? Like your family is everything. But in general, I think like with the amount of violence and death that you've seen or caused yourself, I just think it's uh, it's interesting to to know that at that point, it didn't cause you, you didn't really blink twice. Like today, today, if you saw a dead body in front of you, somebody that just got vi like violently murdered, would that, do you think it would affect you in any way? Do you think you would just look at it? Still no. I look at it like this because my friends are all doctors, right? You know, my friend Genty and I, who deals with people every day in a good manner and death that he's so used to dealing with and operating on people's brains and back. And it's, it's just normal every day for him because he's so used to it. It's not a callous. It's just that you disconnect because you have to, because that's what you're dealing with, him in a positive way. Me in a negative way, I was dealing with that every day and I got used to it where it didn't show any emotion. You kind of somehow block it out. I mean, listen, you could block it out uh, consciously, subconsciously, it definitely takes an effect. I understand that now. You know, back then, that's why I always say that consequences of your actions, you're going to have to deal with eventually, even though you believe at the time you're not. So when you look back at my actions back then, I pay for them now. And, you know, that's why I'm always talking so much against the street, because there is a time you're going to pay that bill uh, for what you did, you know, uh, psychologically. Did you ever feel like there was, well, what's interesting now too, I think with you is, and people don't really get this and it's weird for me to say it in this context after this conversation, but like I've gotten to know you to a point where I think, or I know that you have a very big heart and it's a weird, it's a weird one because you have a very big heart, but in a way you're very calloused or numb when you see things or in the past have seen things that are literally like death, right? So it's it's a weird kind of like paradox where I'm dealing with somebody who's who has a big heart, but also like you can see a dead body right now and you're just like, I, that's a but, weird one. Well, because you understand me now, right? So like, you know, and I think somebody asked you this question about me. I'm very close to you now, right? I look at you like one of my sons. And if somebody endangered your life and I was there, Right, I don't want to be the person I used to be, but if somebody endangered your life and I couldn't get you out of that without me having to kill the person, I think you know I would do that, right? So in a way, I don't want to be that person, but I would try to find a different way out of that if we can get out of it. But if there was no other way and we had to get through that door or they were gonna hurt you, I would 
kill the guy to get through the door, without a doubt. Now, some people will say, like, well, that's crazy. And I'm going to say, well, what's the difference? Not that I want to be that person to kill my... Now, you know, I use... If there was 10 different ways, options, right, right. I would take one of those right. other options. And it, it, it's kind of funny the way I, I say this about people that are always threatening somehow with me. Like, I don't want to be that guy. Stop threatening me. You know, you know, yeah. I'm not like everybody else. You know what I've done. It's it's not who I want to be anymore. And well, the first thing is, A, I, I appreciate that. And that means a lot to me because I know, I know exactly where that's coming from. I think B, though... That thought in general, right, whether it's somebody that you really love, somebody you, that's like a son or is a son or daughter or niece or whatever, most, I think, like, a lot, you're not the, like, you're not the only one who would kill somebody for their family, right? And that, I think, is a normal feeling. Oh, I told parents that at, at, at school talks right. I did, I go, everybody in this room is a killer. If right, you think you're exactly, not, exactly. Let somebody hurt one of your children and see what exactly. you do. Exactly. Exactly. You and know, so I just want to make sure like for people who hear when they hear you say I would kill like coming from you, yeah. you would probably too if somebody was attacking your son. You know, that's what that's human nature from hu animal. To exactly. Human, it's a know, human instinct. Is, is, and, and any instinct for any, I agree. any animal is to protect the people they love and the family. I have a question when you when somebody refers to you as a murderer, they say John Ali is a murderer or was a murderer. What do you think about, does it, or what does it make you feel? Ashamed. I'm embarrassed of it. You know, I'm not proud of that. I, I, I speak openly about my past because it's my past. I can't change it. But when I meet new people and they don't know me from that, it's hard. It's, it's very hard until they know you because they got to understand your mindset now, right. not 20 years ago. You know, because it's a lifetime ago that I was really living that life. I mean, I just might have been in prisons before that, but really my actions of anything like that the last time was in prison in, in Brazil and uh, or when I came home trying to protect the guard that was being attacked in prison, who actually I said that. I did protect him, but I don't think he needed me to. Actually, he was an older guy that was handling himself pretty good. So, but... I always have my own compass of what I think's okay. And, and you know, during all the years, I know guys that, some of them are friends of mine, very good friends of mine, that be, did bad things and did armored car robberies that I would never do. Because I would never, ever just hurt an innocent guy like that. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't, so I never put myself in that position. And I look at guys and I go, it's like a really low life thing to do. He's not a street guy. How are you going to take this man's life? He's just going to work trying to feed his family. That's different. Maybe I justify it, but I justify it by saying, you guys signed up for the same street life I did. Right. The guy that's just an armored car driver, a worker, a, a police officer, he's just doing the right thing with his life. So the, you shouldn't be doing that. I can't justify that. I'm curious, and I think I've asked you this, but maybe in a different way, do you feel like you were a sociopath or a psychopath ever? No, I didn't just randomly hurt anybody that, you know, in, in our life was in the mob world. It's kind of like I look at these some of these kids, like I talk about Oscar Lugo, right? You know, I'm always advocating to get him out of jail and free him, and he got 400 years. 
he's not a guy that went on the street and attacked a woman. He didn't rob a, a, a store owner and stab him or shoot him. He was just a young guy that was accused of hustling drugs with no violence. Uh, that I believe was all his rights were, were, were not given to him. And uh, he got a sentence, I believe, that was uh, given to him to be vindictive because of racism. And I don't use racism. People know that at, at all. But in his case, yes. And I, need, I think his case needs to be seriously looked at because he shouldn't be in there. And he's not a guy like I don't believe in a guy that's 10 times is doing armed robberies and shooting people and then getting out and doing it again, 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 and then you're letting them out and then wonder why he just killed five people, four people, three people. That's not Oscar Lugo, so. Not to get back to what we were just talking about, but I was I was just looking up the definition of a sociopath, right? Just because I'm... One definition is... It's a mental health condition in which a person consistently shows no regard for right and wrong and ignores the rights and feelings of others. I think is interesting, right? And I like for me, I I kind of always grapple with this when people ask me questions about you. They're like, "Oh, is he fucking nuts?" And I'm like, "He's actually way normal than way more normal than a lot of people I know." And I wonder, I always kind of wondered whether somebody can be a sociopath or be a con man or a fraud or a killer or whatever and if they can actually ever get out of that right like i have other guests of mine on my own personal show that have gone to jail for different reasons um i recently had uh, the guy from fire festival right billy mcfarland who uh conned people on a level of and everybody at that point in time would be like he's a sociopath he's and i asked him to his face said are you a sociopath he was like no i don't think so but i can understand why people would think that right because even by definition he didn't have any conscience for the what's right and wrong and didn't care or, of what his actions were doing to others, right? So some people can make that argument about you, right? Technically speaking. Do you feel like there was ever a moment in your life where you had truly no conscience for what was right and wrong? No, I always had a conscience. I could never hurt like just an average person. I hurt guys that were right. in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. To be a politician, to be a gangster, and I mean, I put them both together. I think 99% of them are con men, mm -hmm. are heartless, yeah. are uh, vicious, are liars, are all those things. Because they're maneuvering Machiavellian on every angle between everybody, and it's just part of that life. They were all cutting deals with each other behind the other guy, behind this guy, moving this guy. It's just so many moving pieces. Mm -hmm. And to be in that life, that's why there's such a correlation between politics and the mafia, and I'm always bringing it up. No, saying, that I agree. They don't fool me because I grew up in the world of the mob, and this is no different. There's all kinds of manipulation and maneuvering going around, going on. So a lot of it, I say, is a lot of them are sociopathic because... They got to have some sort of gauge to say, hey, what's more important, my money, my pocket, or society in general where we're saving and helping kids legitimately? Look, I agree. I think if you were going to go be a con man, you should have just done, <laughs> be a politician. I said it. I, I should have never been. I should have went into that world because I understand it so well. Mm -hmm. I, I see through things that, like, you know, <laughs> people in my family can't see. I'm like, what are you, blind? Can't you see what's going on here? This is nonsense. This is bullshit. You know, so, you know, I look at so many aspects of it and, and say, 
this is, I mean, how, how are they fooling anybody with this? <laughs> I mean, you see right through this. It's like looking through a glass door. You see it. Yeah. But other people, it's like looking at a wall. They can't see through that glass door because they're not streety enough to understand what's going on, their manipulation. Yeah, that is true. Like, it's funny because when I first met you too, I realized there's levels of... Un when, I, when I grew up, you'd always... Well, not just me, but I would always hear the term street smarts, right? And so to me, what that looked like is somebody that can, you know, talk well, charm, and, you know, it doesn't mean that they're book smart. They they, they can sometimes take risks. And then when I met you, and this is not to, to flatter you or kiss your ass, it was like I understood what street smarts really look like. For people who've never interacted or met you, I can try to describe it for them. It's basically like, you walk into a room and you're, A, you already have your read on the person. The other thing is not just from a diagnosing the and downloading the data of those people. You're also looking at things around you physically. You're looking at what's the way out? What's the way in? <laughs> if somebody comes in here with a knife or a gun, how am I going to do it? You're looking at how are people dressed and you're looking at how they're shaking or not shaking you're looking at how they're you know like sometimes i even bite my lip out of a habit's a tick and i i imagine you back in the day you probably could tell if somebody was nervous about a certain business situation whatever the situation was just based off of whatever ticks they had right or i remember when and i won't go into it when we had somebody that we were working with that was a little bit you know feeling certain ways and doing certain things you read it immediately right so i think it's always just been interesting to deal with somebody who their job was being smart on the street because you're looking at things that no that most people aren't yeah like for like i guess and my question is that's my depiction of you from your depiction like from your i guess experience and how you go about assessing a situation when you go into a new situation and what street smarts means to you what would what would be like the go to when you're entering a new situation? What are you looking at? Because I think for people, it could be interesting to hear how, you know, when I walk into a door, I'm thinking about things, but when you walk into a door, you're thinking about other things. I always think the first weakness of any guy that I've dealt with on the street was for him to overshow that he's a, a alpha male. To me, I know he's not, because he's trying, trying so hard to show that. And I used to let guys always think that that he's the toughest, he's the wildest, and I'd let him take the, the front position for a minute, meaning a minute, whether it's a week, a month, two months, or three months, and then I'd slowly pick apart his personality and overtake him and then do what I want with him. How know? do you pick apart? Because you could, start, you could start seeing his weaknesses by the way he talks, the way he brags, the way he carries himself the way he's insecure in different ways and brings guys and, or, you know, a lot of the guys before, you know, the workout guys, when they're overcompensating, they're insecure and they think that if they're big, that's going to mean something. And, you know, and then you look at guys that are more of gentlemen, and I've brought this up plenty of times, of guys that you know of, that we have mutual friends that are, are legitimate fighters, whether they were pro uh, boxers, UFC fighters, those guys are usually more humble and they're more open and they're more secure with themselves. So they carry themselves. They joke more. They don't have to show off that they're tough guys. And it's the same thing with the street guys, the killers. They usually are the ones that, uh, 
you know, they, they a lot of these mob guys, I'll use an example, they know everybody's name and last name. And this, and, and I look at them and I'm like, I could give a shit what everybody's real name is. If that was his nickname, and I knew him for 30 years, that's his nickname. I really didn't care unless he did business with me directly. Who cares who he is? Who cares what position he was? Who cares about any of this? These are the insecure guys that want to kind of almost know every little bit of history to legitimize themselves. So, so how would you break down like when you, when you're in front of a really good, really good like let's say, mob guy, like you know he was smart, he was savvy. How do you break one of those down? It depends what I'm involved with him in. If it's in in business or if it's in a see robberies are very easy. When we used to do drug robberies, very easy to see how tough they were, because because of the way you know they'll talk like in the. The guy Ronnie did the book with me. His father was a good friend of mine. He was the concierge one time at Philadelphia, and he set up a robbery for me. And this is an example. And he talked about it in the book. And when he set the robbery up for me, he told me that there's four, three or four guys in there, and they got guns and this and that. And so he took me by there, thinking we're just going to look at it. And I said to him, "All right." And he goes, "All right, what?" I says, "Well, you know, where's the guns?" So he goes, I didn't bring guns. No, I says, well, call. he called a friend of his and he called him up. I says, get him to bring the guns. I says, I'm going to do it now. And he goes, now? I go, yeah, you just told me they're in there. I got out of here in there? He goes, yeah. I says, all right, well, I'll do it now. Now, I had a lot of friends that would do things with me, but I had to go first. Mm. You know, and <laughs> I knew it wasn't going to get done unless I go first because I knew they really didn't have it in them. And that's when you start seeing who's really real, like, are they really serious or are they going to start, you know, back? Or do they need five guys with them or can they do it alone or with one guy? And, you know, you start seeing it, you know, and these are the telltales of what type of guy are they really? Like when I watch the news and, they, you know, and I see four or five or seven guys beating up one or two, and I'm just looking at them saying they're such cowards. You know, because if you're one of those seven guys, you're supposed to stop your, your friends from doing that. That ain't a tough guy that's i'm looking at all how weak these guys are to do that you know they were you know just recently on the news i seen a a boy with autism they were beating the hell out of him and i'm like you'd love to sit these guys down and talk to them and say hey and, and not abuse them just say like what what makes you so insecure that you need seven years to do that to a boy that's mentally ill like you know where's you talk about empathy there's empathy Right, I would never do that. That's never who I ever was. You know what I? But those guys that did it in my own life, I would have no qualm, honestly, hurting all of them, shooting all of them, and I'm saying, well, they deserve it because you're such a coward to do shit like that. Right. And and so I think that's the difference is who's where are they learning that from. Who do you equate? Who do you think was on your level of? Um... I guess like savvy when it came to being on the street back in the day. Like who do you think was amongst the best? The, the problem with the street is there's so many dummies that it's easy to be ahead of them, right? And <laughs> yeah, I, I really that, mean that. that. I know. You know, they're really dumb. I mean, you met a lot of them. <laughs> so there's no credit to me of being more intelligent because they're dumb. Because the bar is so low. Yeah, the bar is so low. That's really the truth. And, and I mean, we can laugh about it, but it really is the truth. And I'm not sure if it's because they really weren't street guys. They really weren't school educated. 
They have no intelligence about them. Uh, they think like you know they you know they gotta talk tough and and they put the accent on and they say oh, instead of three they use the word tree and you know just to try to you know you know, listen. My father grew up. He used to say, but he wasn't he wasn't an intelligent guy. He only went to school to third grade. He grew up Lower East Side, Riverton. They were street street guys. You know, they were from the street with no education, and it showed in a lot of ways. As as he got got older, he got you know well read on his own mm-hmm. you know you started reading and you, you grow up and you change but when i look at these guys and i see how dumb they are and over the years when we're talking in different locations and situations of course nobody's going to respect them the way they act the way they talk the way they you know behave so was there a clear mental difference in the intelligence level between like the bosses and guys like senior and the rest Listen, Senior had a group of, there was a couple guys who were a little more intelligent. Johnny Koenig was one of them. He might not have been school educated, but he was very sharp. He understood. Mark Ryder, very, very sharp guy. The rest of them, I'm going to really illiterate dummies, weak, weak, weak. You can boss them any way you want. John could have told me, tie my shoe. Oh, by the way, take my sock off me. You know, I, I listened to guys like Mikey Scars talk about Jackie Jackie Knows, right? Became an acting boss. Like I said, not a bad guy. He really wasn't. Not a bad guy. But I hear these guys talking about, oh, he's a legendary, powerful. What the fuck are they talking about? The guy was, and I hate to say this because he's not a bad guy. And you know, forget the mob world. I'm not talking about outside the mob world. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a nice guy. But he was an idiot. Mm-hmm. He was an imbecile. He, you know, he's a dumb guy. There's nothing else to say. He's not a sharp guy. If he didn't do any of this, he had nothing else he could have done with his life. Skinny Dom, not a bad guy. He couldn't read or write. Iggy, you know, again, decent guy, but completely a dummy. You know, so you're not the Pete Gotti was a sanitation guy. I like Pete, but another dummy. You know, these ain't sharp guys. So, you know. Was Gotti Sr. sharp? He, he was a guy that was not school educated, but people educated, because mm-hmm. he grew up in the street and he really knew how. And so so his, sharp. His best quality was he knew how to maneuver people. He could manipulate the shit out of all of them. He was head and shoulders above all these guys in the in that way. Um, he he was he was pretty fucking smart. But his weaknesses were that he was just too flashy and. Well, yeah. I mean, listen. Everybody has faults. Um, He's, that was one of his faults. But as far as some sharp guys, it was some business guys that hung around that were very, very sharp, but not tough guys. So it was very hard to get like a mixture. When I hear these guys talk about, oh, this guy was a powerful, uh, Jojo Carrasso, because the people talking about him recently. His son's a lawyer, you know, smart guy, he's a lawyer. The father was a moneymaker. Knew how to make money since he was young. Uh, very intelligent as far as making money. But uh, he's not a gangster. He's not a tough guy gangster like that. That's not who he is. So when I hear these guys talking about it, I'm like, it's not true, man. These, these guys aren't. It was like Ronnie Wanong. You know, he was a low-level, you know, dumb guy. You know, you get away with it because you're, you're, you're in a neighbor where everybody knows you. And you're not... And you know, rocket scientist. You know, just not. He was my good friend at one time, and 
he would say partner with me and this and that. But you're not a, a serious tough guy. Forget it. Anybody that was really serious, he's going to run through you. And you're, you're not uh, too intelligent. And he wasn't a money maker. The only time he started making money is when everybody else was dying and going to jail. And actually, he made a ton of money later on because of his son, who was a little smart. His son, Alphonse, who was not a tough guy, but he knew how to make money. He had friends and he made money in sports business, drug business. He was a little more of a hustler. He actually wasted his life. There's, again, when you talk about the Bronx tale, I, got, I know him since he's a baby. His sister was my godchild, Bliss, and I haven't seen her since she's a baby. But there's wasted talent. His father should have never did that to him. The kid was a ball player. He was smart in school. His brother was really smart in school. And you ruined his life. Yeah. Uh, and you made him something that he had no business being involved in. Yeah. This is the problem with that life is is the, and you know, when it's like jail, I talk about it all the time. If me and you disagree on something and you were a gangster and a killer, it doesn't matter because you're intelligent. We could discuss it and you can work it out. And in the mob world, most of these guys are dummies. Yeah. So you can't trust them. That anything they say, it doesn't matter. So if I have a discussion and agreement with you, you got to be an idiot to believe the yeah. agreement. There is no agreement because I'll never trust you because too much of a weasel. They're all weasels. So when I, I never believed in any of these, for the most part, sitting down, shaking hands because I'm never going to drop my guard against you anyway. And they're too dumb to make a move in it without being caught. And so they're intelligent. See, anybody could shoot a gun, anybody can do that stuff. Yeah. Getting away with it and being intelligent enough to move around and maneuver is another, and most of them need leaders, and most of them are followers, and most of them need groups because they really don't got balls by themselves. And to show that, every time one of these guys do cooperate, they go hide somewhere. They don't stick around. They're running because they don't got a whole team of guys anymore. Fair point. Um, I think that's good for this episode. We uh, we covered a lot. Um, maybe we'll dive into more of some of the specifics of what you're talking about right now. I was trying to think of a name that you said that was pretty intelligent. We'll no, we'll, we'll think we'll think more because I think that stuff is interesting. I think the way that it applies to your life now, I think the way that it applies to... I think it also shows, interestingly enough, um, the difference in generations as well. Like I'd be curious to see how these people would fare in this climate. Um who the mob guys now? Yeah. They could never make it back in the eighties. You know why? There was such serious consequences the way they talk now. Yeah. On internets and person and they, they they don't even know how to carry themselves. Yeah, I know. If there wasn't cameras around, these guys would have been dropping like flies. I know. So, anyways, thank you guys so much for watching another episode of the Oddest Couple. We're back. We're gonna be pushing out content every single week. A new episode every single week. We're excited to be back. Uh, if you've been watching this on YouTube, please like this video, comment. What are your thoughts? Did you like this episode? Did you not like this episode? We want to hear it all. Subscribe, of course. If you're listening to this, review this. Subscribe so you get the notifications when the episode drops in its audio version wherever you're listening to this. Follow us on Instagram. For me, it's at Felix.Levine. For John, it's at John A. Light. TikTok, all that good stuff. You'll find us. Search our names. Uh get in on it and um stay tuned we got more more coming here we come